Good morning. It's the 17th of October, Sunday, 2021. You are listening to the Conspiracy to Commit Poetry podcast. I am your humble host, Joe Trident Schmidt, and I am recording this uh, in the morning on a beautiful morning here in Gaziantep, Turkey. I'm going to jump right into it today with a number of uh, poems and things by the late Jim Harrison. Jim Harrison uh, is famous for his novellas, perhaps most notably uh, Legends of the Fall, which was turned into a film with Brad Pitt. But he, uh, he was a, a great poet also, and uh, he has a number of uh, wonderful poetry collections. This one is his 2006 uh, collection, uh, Saving Daylight, uh, and this is Jim Harrison's poem, The Little Appearances of God. One, when God visits us, he sleeps without a clock in empty bird nests. He likes the view, not too high, not too low. He winks a friendly wink at a nearby possum who sniffs the air, unable to detect the scent of this not quite visible stranger. A canyon wren lands on the bridge of God's nose, deciding the new experience is worth the fear. He's an old bird, due to flee the earth, not on his own wings. This is a good place to feel his waning flutter of breath, hear his last delicate musical call, his death song, and then he hopes to become part of God's body, feeling the subdued dread of his illness, he won't know for sure until it's over. Two, he's now within the form of a whippoorwill, sitting on a faded gravestone in the twilight, while children pass by the cemetery, almost enjoying the purity of their fright. Since he's God, he can read the gravestone upside down. Little Mary disappeared in the influenza epidemic back in 1919. He ponders that it took a couple of million years to invent these children, but perhaps microbes must also have freedom from predestination. He's so tired of hearing about this ditzy Irishman, Bishop Usher, who spread the rumor that creation only took 6,000 years when it required 12 billion. Man shrunk himself with the biological hysteria of clocks, the machinery of dread. You spend 12 billion years inventing 90 billion galaxies, and who appreciates your work except children, birds, and dogs, and a few other genius strokes, like otters and porpoises, those humans who kiss joy as it flies, who see through, not with, the eye. Three. Years ago, he kept an eye on Dupree's Brescia, a creature of beauty. He doesn't lose track of people, as some need no help, bent to their own particulars. No dancing or music allowed. The world in front of their noses has disappeared. Dickinson wrote, The brain is just the weight of God. We said goodbye to our farm, and a stately heron walked up the steps and looked in our window. 
I had suffocated myself, but then Zuatin Neheo, just outside the Pacific's crashing and lethal surf in a ponga, I heard the billions of cicadas in the wild Bougainvillea on the mountainsides, a new kind of thunder. He gave Thoreau, Modigliani, and Neruda the same birthday to tease with his abilities. So there's a lot going on in that uh, suite, three-paneled suite of poems, The Little Appearances of God. Um, what I love about Jim Harrison is so much of his poetry is directly uh, spiritual, you might say religious. Uh, I think religion and religious are very uh, troubled words in, uh, in our contemporary context. Because when people think of religion, they think of uh, organized religion, uh, some man at a pulpit, uh, you know, telling us uh, how, how we're not living right, um, prescribing, prescribing a way to live to us, uh, and prescribing a way that might be impossible for us to live. I don't want to attack uh, organized religion. I think there there's still uh, some value, if not great value, uh, in organized religion. Uh, but each of us, when we leave the, uh, the church or the mosque or the synagogue or the temple, the uh, authoritative sacred space, and we enter the uh, personal or lyrical sacred space, well, we come to the religion that I mean, and I mean the, the religion that you live um, at two o'clock in the morning when the lights are off and there's no one in the house but you, and uh, for lack of a better term, God. Uh, Jim Harrison uh, writes a lot about, you know, these the metaphysical subjects, uh, spiritual subjects, and he's not afraid to use the word God. Uh, he's very critical of organized religion in, in a lot of his writing. Um, but not in a mean way, always in a teasing way. Uh, you know, Jim Harrison comes from a Protestant Christian upbringing, which, uh, like so many, uh, you know, Americans, he, he turned away from at a certain age uh, uh, and then looked to other spiritualities, uh, I think he's heavily influenced by Zen Buddhism and Taoism and these Eastern ideas, as I very much am, um, which is really why I'm interested in Jim Harris. I mean, Jim Harrison, for me, was an American Zen writer. Uh, I'm going to read you something here in a little bit that'll uh, contextualize Jim Harrison's quote-unquote Zen Buddhism. Um, I like his sort of Jungian approach to it, which is to say as Alan Watts reminds us about Carl Jung, that we are, uh, well, I am anyway, Jim Harrison, when I say we, Jim Harrison and myself are both Westerners. You know, we are of, uh, you know, North Americans of, of European ancestry uh, who uh, can only move so far from our cultural, uh, you know, we can only grow so far from our cultural soil, I guess. Um, and so if we, uh, you know, if we're drawn to, uh, Islam or 
Taoism or Zen Buddhism or whatever, uh, Native American spiritual practice, it's, um, you know, we can only do, we can only move so far, you know, we can only grow so far in that direction. Or, you know, we have limited capabilities to really engage that stuff. Um, so, yeah, I hope I've, I've done a little bit of contextualizing uh, the R word, religion. Um, I like, uh, I think it's important also to mention that in the poem, The Little Appearances of God, within the text of the poem, God is lowercase. Uh, Jim Harrison is definitely uh, conceives of a, uh, you know, pantheistic, perhaps polytheistic, uh, conception of the divine, a divine that's constantly shame, uh, changing forms. I would argue as someone who is under the sway of monotheistic thinking, um, you know, I'd say that there's a monotheist. I mean, I'm, I consider myself a Muslim, uh, maybe not a good one, or maybe, or, or let's say, maybe not a, a terribly uh, orthodox one. Uh, but you know, I, I, I think in terms of Taweed, of the unity of, of God. Taweed is a Arabic term. It's probably the most important idea in Islam, the idea of uh, God is one. There's the oneness, the uniqueness to God. And you know, But within Islam, there's, there's all kinds of uh, arguments about what that really means, the oneness of God. And there's a conception of, of Allah, of God, that is... Uh, almost pantheistic in the idea that everything, that Allah is the only reality, that God is the only reality, and all of these particulars of the creation are just uh, sort of dreams or temporary states. So there really is only, there only is God. Um, that's not quite the same thing as pantheism, which I think Jim Harrison's a little bit more that way. Um, and, I've, and I've been very influenced by pantheistic thinking in the past, this idea that the entire material reality is God. That's different than, than Tawheed. It's very different than Tawheed. But, um, but still, there is this common theme of, of the unity of all things. And, and the unity of all things, the unity of all things, um, therein lies the divinity of things. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Uh, Harrison here uh, references uh, seeing through the eye, not with the eye. That's Blake. Uh, that's at the end of the second portion. Uh, you spend 12 billion years, God spent 12 years, spends 12 billion years inventing 9 billion galaxies. And who appreciates God's work except children, birds, and dogs, and a few other genius strokes like otters and porpoises? Those humans who kiss joy as it flies, who see through, not with the eye. So the Blake reference is seeing through and not with the eye. I believe that is, uh, I don't know if it's Auguries of Innocence or what, I'll have to look that up. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure it's Blake, William Blake, the uh, British pre-romantic uh, poet and mystic. Uh, I'm interested in this phrase, those humans who kiss joy as it flies. Poets and people who write poetry are very often the people who kiss joy as it flies. Um, poetry for me is a sacred space. 
Uh, I will return to this again and again uh, in this podcast. It might be the raison d'etre of this podcast to remind you on a uh, weekly or monthly or sometimes daily frequent basis, however often I put these out, um, that uh, poetry is uh, a form of sacred, powerful language. And in using that kind of language, you create a sacred space, uh, a magic circle, if you will, an altar, a rhetorical altar, a, uh, a kind of masjid of words. Uh, I'm mixing all kinds of, uh, of uh, religious metaphors here. Um, let's go to uh, Harrison again for some contextualization. Somewhere well, in the late 90s, he had a collection of poems called After Ikkyu and Other Poems, and there's some wonderful uh, Zen poems. I, I, I'm not going to read you any of his poems. I'm just going to read you the preface from After Ikkyu because I feel like it says a lot about Jim Harrison as, as a, uh, a poet who is inspired by a religious tradition, in this case, Zen Buddhism. Jim Harrison's preference, uh, excuse me, Jim Harrison's preface to After Ikkyu and Other Poems. I began my Zen studies and practice well over 20 years ago in a state of rapacious and self-congratulatory spiritual greed. I immediately set about reading hundreds of books on the subject, almost all contemporary and informed by an earnest mediocrity. There was no more self-referential, there was no more self-referential organism alive than myself, a potato that didn't know it was a potato. Naturally, the years have passed quickly, if not brutishly. I practiced because I value life, and this seems the best way for me to get at the heart of the matter. We are more than dying flies in a shit house, though we are that too. There are hundreds of ways to tip off a cushion and only one way to sit there. Zen is the vehicle of reality, and I see almost as much of it in Wordsworth as I do in Chan texts. As I've said before, it's easy to mistake the plumbing for the river. We in the West are prone to ignore our own literary traditions, while in the East, Zenists were industriously syncretic gathering poetry, Confucius, and Taoism to their breasts. There is scarcely a better con than Ahab before the whiteness of a whale who sees a different ocean from each side of its massive head. The sequence after Ikkyu was occasioned when Jack Turner passed along to me the secret of Tongshang and the new Master Yunmin edited by Erz Ap. It was a dark period, I spent a great deal of time with the books. They rattled me loose from the oppressive, poleaxed state of distraction we count as worldly success. But then we are not fueled by pithes and gists, but by practice, which is Yunmin's unshakable point. Amongst a thousand other harrowing ones, I was born a baby. What are these hundred suits of clothes I'm wearing? Of course, the reader should be mindful that I'm a poet and we tend to err on the side that life is more than it appears rather than less. 
I do not remotely consider myself a Zen Buddhist, as that is too ineptly convenient and a specific barrier for one whose lifelong obsession has been his art rather than his religion. Someone like Robert Aitken Roshi is a Zen Buddhist. I'm still a fool. Early on in my teens, I suffocated myself with Protestant theology and am mindful in college's terms that like spiders, we spin webs of deceit out of our big hanging asses, whether with Jesus or the Buddha. But still practice is accretive. And who has opened doors for me like Zen creatures? Peter Mathiasen, Gary Snyder, Koben Chino Sensei, Bob Watkins, Dan Gerber, and Jack Turner, to name a few prominent ones. It doesn't really matter if these poems are thought of as slightly soiled Dharma gates or just plain poems. They'll live or die by their own specific density, flowers for the void. The poems are written with a discrete interval described so poignantly by Tung Shan. Earnestly avoid seeking without, lest it recede far from you. Today I am walking alone, yet everywhere I meet him. He is now no other than myself, but I am not now him. It must be understood this way in order to merge with suchness. To write a poem, you must first create a pen that will write what you want to say. For better or worse, this is the work of a lifetime. Jim Harrison, 1996. So that's Jim Harrison's preference, uh, I keep saying preference, preface, preface, to After Icky and Other Poems. And, and I'm just, uh, I've read that preface uh, to myself, uh, I don't know, a hundred times at least. Uh, I think it's one of the great uh, introductions to a poetic work, actually. Um, I like very much how he is able to pay great respect to the Zen tradition and uh, many writers and thinkers in the Zen tradition, uh, and at the same time separate himself from it in the terms of saying, hey, I'm not really a Zen Buddhist, I'm a fool. Uh, I'm somebody from uh, Protestant theology. Uh, I love the line, uh, early on in my teens, I suffocated myself with Protestant theology and am mindful in Coleridge's terms that like spiders, we spin webs of deceit out of our big hanging asses whether with Jesus or the Buddha. And I, Joe Trent Schmidt, might add, um, you know, Rumi or something of that nature. So um, we can't escape, uh, those of us who are Westerners, we can't escape being Westerners uh, as much as we uh, may try to. I'll let you figure out what, what uh, that might mean. I, I'm not sure myself. There is this great longing for, for God, for words that matter, and that's, uh, that's, uh, that's where poems start. So uh, I've got a third uh, bit of Jim Harrison here, and uh, I'll read here some Jim Harrison. He has a, a book, Jim Harrison, a poetry book, uh, one, of his, one of his last ones, published in 2009, called In Search of Small Gods. And again, uh, you know, it's, it's full of, uh, of Jim Harrison's sort of uh, 
you know, Michigan white boy, admirer of Native tradition, Native American spirituality, Zen Buddhism, uh, post-Protestant poetry of Jim Harrison, if I could say all that in a mouthful. Um, and, and uh, oh, I pulled this book out and I didn't even find a, a poem about the, oh, here you go. Here's the very first poem in the collection, In Search of Small Gods. And uh, it's called, I Believe. I believe in steep drop-offs, the, the thunderstorm across the lake in 1949, cold winds, empty swimming pools, the overgrown path to the creek, raw garlic, used tires, taverns, saloons, bars, gallons of red wine, abandoned farmhouses, stunted lilac groves, gravel roads at end, brush piles, thickets, girls who haven't quite gone totally wild, river eddies, leaky wooden boats, the smell of used engine oil, turbulent rivers, lakes without cottages lost in the woods, the primrose growing out of a cow skull, the thousands of birds I've talked to all my life, the dogs that talk back, the chihuahuan ravens that follow me on long walks, the rattler escaping the cold hose, the fluttering unknown gods that I nearly see from the left corner of my blind eye, struggling to stay alive in a world that grinds them underfoot. I believe in a lot of those things too. Uh, I love the Whitmanic nominalization in that poem, I believe. Just the naming of things that are beautiful, sensual, and still sacred. So I, I threw a lot of stuff out there with you. I, I saw Jim Harrison on the bookshelf this morning and thought, well, we should share this with the people. You're the people. And I shared. I don't know what else to say here this morning. Um, I want to regularly put together uh, this uh, podcast and you're out there in the world listening and I want to keep you good company and share good words with you and share some of myself uh, without being uh, too self-absorbed. Now, how can you not be too self-absorbed when you're just one voice talking into a machine, you know, recording and mansplaining to a machine. Uh, so maybe this whole thing is farcical. If you listen to this and, and just laugh at me, that's that's wonderful. And if you listen and between laughing at me, you find uh, certain insights or I present something uh, useful, interesting to you, uh, that's wonderful. That's what we hope for, what I hope for. Um, Sometimes I refer to myself in the royal we, I apologize, but uh, I do that to, uh, I don't know, make, my, make myself seem more important to myself. Uh, there, is, there is no, what, what, uh, no more self-referential being uh, than myself, a potato that didn't know it was a potato. When I read those words in, I think about 20 years ago, I first read that uh, line by Jim Harrison. 
There, are, there is no more self-referential being than myself, a potato, that didn't know it was a potato. Um, that was mind-blowing to me because, you know, 20 years ago, I'm uh, 27 years old. I had, uh, you know, I was going through my first stint of uh, sobering up off of alcohol. Uh, I had another drunk left in me still, but, uh, you know, I was trying to get my, uh, my life together. I was trying to recover from, uh, over a decade of, of alcoholism. And, uh, so when I read that, that was, that was very mind blowing. You know, I didn't know that I was a potato. Um, you know, I, I certainly grew up with this 1980s American mentality of, uh, endless growth and endless, ego expansion and uh you know it's it's it, it it's it's difficult to grow up in the society that I grew up in and have the correctly sized ego and what you find i think with a lot of uh men in my generation from my background and uh i'll say american men uh definitely uh white american men Definitely white American men from the lower middle class because you're you're uh, you're poor enough to be uh, desperate and uh, you have a very low self esteem, but uh, you have enough uh, ego uh, to be uh, ambitious, um, maybe dangerously so. Uh, I'm, I'm all over the place here, but uh, a potato that didn't know. He was a potato. So, yeah, so if you're a potato looking inward, what you really want to do when you're a potato is, is realize that you're in the ground. You know, the ground is more important than the potato. There are many other potatoes. A potato is not so important. Um, the potato being a great factory of energy, of, of complex carbohydrate, as it sits in the ground, almost like a stone, except stones don't uh, grow uh, complex carbohydrates that can uh, fuel population booms in Ireland. You know, a potato is pretty special. Uh, what makes a potato special is its relationship to the ground, the ground of being. In this sense, the ground of being is is very close to this idea of of a law of of God of of total reality, absolute reality, the oneness, taweed, if you will. I'm mixing a lot of things, and if you're out there and you're a religious studies major, a theologian, and your your eyes are rolling in your head as I'm throwing in all these different traditions into one pot, please, please, please remember that I'm 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 just a poet, so uh, I'm a little bit like a cook. Uh, I, I throw whatever into the pot and I, and if it, and I taste the stew and if it tastes good, it's true. Um, that may not meet, uh, you know, the, uh, the standards of, uh, serious theologians. And, uh, if I disrespect anyone's, uh, traditions, please, uh, well, please comment. Uh, you can comment, uh, on any of these. Uh, I have not yet received, uh, any comments, uh, substantial comments. Anyway, I've gotten a couple like, hey, way to go, or whatever. But, um, you know, if you're really 
hearing something here that you think is interesting or something you'd like to rebut or comment on or throw a caveat on, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, to have it. So, uh, it's, uh, I read, uh, getting back to the, the last Jim Harrison thing, the nominalization of individual things, uh, what did he name there? I want to go back and look at that because he named so many wonderful things, uh, Yes, uh, the thunderstorm across the lake in 1949. My father was born in 1949. Empty swimming pools, uh, raw garlic, gallons of red wine, abandoned farmhouses. Oh, yes. Girls who haven't quite gone wild, river eddies, leaky wooden boats, the smell of used engine oil. This big, long list of... of, uh, of uh, sensory... Sensory words of nouns, just naming things in a big string of beads and making this magic bead called a, a poem, you know. That's what uh, Jim Harrison has done in uh, I Believe. The, uh, when I went through my Jim Harrison phase, you could say I went through a Jim Harrison phase, at least with his poetry, uh, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I was reading uh, Suzuki, uh, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. I was reading everything I could get my hands on about Taoism. I was reading uh, uh, po- uh, poetry from the ancient Chinese, uh, uh, you know, all this sort of East Asian stuff. And, uh, and of course, Gary Snyder, the American, who's under the influence of all this East Asian stuff and, and rereading Jack Kerouac's The Dharma Bombs and all of that was really the pre- prelude. And, and this is, this is uh, let's say, from the years, uh, you know, the 1990s until about, you know, 15 years from the mid-1990s until about 2010, 2011. I was just, you know, uh, saturating myself in uh, Taoism and, and, and Zen-influenced writing. And, uh, and, of course, I went on the, the I hiked the Appalachian Trail, really, as a, almost a direct result of that. And the, the process of, of hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, which, which kind of consumed the next decade of my life, I'm really, I might be at the end or at the tail end of that, of that period of my life where, uh, you know, I just, what became important was my backpack, uh, you know, writing a Pulitzer Prize-winning collection of poetry uh, became sort of like, wow, what a stupid goal. And why that's not a goal, you know. When I was 21 years old, I was like, I'm going to write a Pulitzer Prize-winning collection of poetry. Okay, dude. You know, like, that's that's very youthful uh, hubris, I suppose. Um, so yeah, so the the the, the hiking uh, was its own thing, you know, it, and it sort of washed washed all the Zen out of me. Uh, not not in a bad way, but sort of like I kind of learned the lesson and, and kept moving, and I got sort of interested then in the the idea of pilgrimage, and uh, you know, all of a sudden Chaucer becomes more important. And uh, interestingly, there's a little doorway in uh, the Canterbury Tales uh, in the in the Chaucerian uh, tradition, because you knew Chaucer's writing uh, in the late Middle Ages, uh, you know, at the the beginning of the Renaissance, the end of the Middle Ages, however you want to 
date these uh, arbitrary man-made boxes of time, but Chaucer is living in a world where Europe has come under the influence of uh, the Islamic world in the form of the Crusading era. You know, Europeans went to the Islamic world and they brought back some things aesthetically. And uh, you can find that in Chaucer. And um, if at one end of Islam you have Taweed, the oneness of things, at the other end of Islam you have uh, you have uh, Hajj, uh, the journey to Mecca. But then you have, you know, poets like Rumi who say that turn in any, you know, what direction should I pray in? You know, well, turn in any direction and there is the Kaaba. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with uh, Islamic terms, the Kaaba is that uh, uh, that the black box, as it were, in, in Mecca that uh, the Hajj pilgrims uh, circumambulate. They walk around it at the uh, at the pilgrim time. You know, um, it's that Kaaba is uh, there's a stone inside of it that has been there uh, dating back to the most ancient times. Muslims believe that that is where uh, Abraham, uh, the Abraham of uh, Jewish and Christian religion, as well as Islamic religion, uh, Abraham uh, set up the first uh, altar to the one God. Uh, so uh, in the time of Prophet Muhammad, the story of Islam is that you know Mecca is this uh, trading center for the Arab world. There are all of these... Uh, competing, uh, warring tribes of Arabs, disunified, uh, doing uh, horrible blood feuds, and, and each tribe has its its family gods, very much like the uh, the Roman, uh, I think Numina, the, the ancient Latins called their, their house gods. But in any case, uh, the uh, Arab polytheists would put their gods inside of the Kaaba, and uh, there was all kinds of uh, repugnant uh, uh, sort of idolatry with this. Re repugnant in the uh, golden calf sense of repugnancy. Um, I don't want to pick on uh, polytheists necessarily, but in the Islamic context, it's not a good thing to uh, have this uh, repository of idols. That the Kaaba has fallen at once the the at once the the uh, the altar to the one God as established by Abraham by the time of Muhammad peace be upon him it is uh, this repository of of uh, of idols you know uh, taking any other object of worship besides God uh, in Islam is considered the the worst sin. That's called shirk. Um, and so the, the story of early Islam is the story of Muhammad restoring the Kaaba to, uh, to Tawheed, the, uh, to the worship of the one, the one God, Allah. That's all Allah really is. And, and Allah is not, just a, uh, is not a man or a woman. Uh, you know, it's not a, a, a man in the sky with a, with a, patriarchal white beard. Um, you know, the Islamic conception of God is uh, is this very absolute thing that we cannot fully conceive of. We have hints through the messages of the prophets and, and, and the various scriptures that have come to mankind. 
I'm getting very heavy on the religion. I apologize to those of you who are skeptical about capital R religion. Uh, but I want to return to this idea of pilgrimage. Of uh, The Hajj is the final part of the, uh, of the Islamic uh, religious life. You know, there's, there's the, the five times prayer uh, that some people keep up. Uh, I probably should be better at that. I, I, whenever I have made my prayer five times a day, I'm, I'm probably a better person for that. Uh, you have uh, the fasting during the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan in the Islamic calendar is when uh, the, the first verses of the Quran are revealed to uh, Muhammad. Uh, but this whole cycle of, 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 of the, the, the pillars of Islam ends with this, you make the journey to the Kaaba, the most sacred spot. And of course, you know, later Islamic thinkers are more uh, uh, nuanced Islamic thinkers like Rumi. Uh, we're not literalists, you know. Uh, what does it mean to uh, pray five times a day? Uh, we, we see this, this is going on in the Islamic world right now where there are people that are living by the letter of the capital R religious law, and uh, they're like praying robots, and, and then when they get done with all of their religious uh, obligations, uh, they may or may not be such wonderful people, actually. Um, I'm sure that uh, my, uh, my friends in the uh, Christian and Jewish and Buddhist and Hindu worlds can attest to similar uh, happenings in their religious faiths. So I, I, I'm definitely in the camp of the, the non-literalist. Um, I like the, the figurative interpretations, the leveled, nuanced meanings in religious traditions. And, uh, you know, so my first visit to the Kaaba, speaking figuratively, was my 2011 Appalachian Trail hike to Katahdin in Maine, which is not in Saudi Arabia. It's in northern Maine. And it's this uh, incredibly beautiful mountain that sits up out of a flat boreal, boreal lake country where the Appalachian mountain chain uh, in North America begins to dissipate into these sort of solitary mountains. It's not one big long uh, ridge anymore as it is going all the way down to Georgia and even into Alabama. Uh, so... Yeah, it's something about, you know, I realized recently that the distance, I think, between uh, Istanbul and Mecca, Istanbul, Turkey, and Mecca in Saudi Arabia, uh, on foot is about the distance between uh, Springer Mountain, Georgia, the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail, and uh, Katahdin in Maine. Um, Katahdin is uh, uh, Micmac or Abenaki. Uh, uh, it's a Native American word for... Uh, the greatest mountain. So I don't call it Mount Katahdin as some people do because that would be redundant. It's just Katahdin. And of course, uh, people are not supposed to go, in the native tradition, uh, people are not supposed to go up on Katahdin. Katahdin is where the gods live, like Olympus, let's say. And the, uh, their deity that lives up there is uh, Pomola, who is a uh, you know thunder god. So... Uh, so there you go. Uh, that's my, uh, you know, that was, that was, you know, in some ways my first Hajj. Will I ever go to Hajj on Mecca? Uh, I think uh, Muslims would say, inshallah. 
But the idea that I that I could or I would or I should go to Mecca, go on Hajj, go on pilgrimage, uh, you know, came from that experience of hiking the Appalachian Trail. I don't hike the Appalachian Trail if I don't go through 15 years of uh, reading books uh, about and inspired by Taoism and Zen Buddhism. Uh, you know, so all of this, this uh, various ingredients going in, uh, in Idris Shah's book on the Sufis, Idris Shah's, uh, uh, well, just, just go look at Idris Shah Foundation on YouTube. Uh, Idris Shah was a Islamic scholar and he wrote a lot about uh, the Sufi tradition. Uh, and, but in, in, in his uh, chapter in the book, The Sufis, it's a, an introductory text on the, the great Sufis through, through time. But in Indra Shah's uh, chapter on uh, Ibn al-Arabi, he talks about the methodology of Sufi uh, scholars as being a matter of scattering, you know, taking little pieces and scattering. You see this in Mevlana Jalaluddin Rumi's poetry, where he's just sort of all over the place. He picks up a little bit of something here, and he talks about it for a while, and then he drops it, and then he goes over here, and then he, he makes a little side doorway back to what he was talking about. And then he, um, so uh, I used to be shamed and ashamed for my rather um, unfocused or uh, whirling dervish way of, uh, of thinking, where I'm sort of moving in circles and touching all these things. But I realized that there is this great uh, Sufic pattern in all of this. There is a great scattering of, of consciousness uh, that I'm sort of following, like, you know, walking along, finding a pretty stone and picking it up and putting it in my pocket and wandering over here and finding another stone and finding another stone and wandering down uh, the Zen Taoist path and passing uh, the gates uh, where where Lao Tzu left the Dada Ching and crossing the Silk Road and ending up, uh, you know, ending up on, in the uh, Cascade Mountains of North America with Gary Snyder and Jack Kerouac in the 50s and then taking a left turn uh, uh, at Pismo Beach with Bugs Bunny and then uh, discovering myself uh, back on the Silk Road in Central Asia with Rumi and, and then in Gaziantep, Turkey. Uh, really, it happens. Uh, it happens like that. Um, this kind of scattered existence. Um, so I hope you've uh, enjoyed today's uh, scattering. Uh, I hope it is not scatology. Uh, in the uh, 2006 in Search of Small Gods uh, by Jim Harrison, I found something that I wrote uh, at Renaissance Hotel and Resorts. I don't know which one where, but it's dated September 16th of 2007, and this is something that I wrote. And, uh, and I apparently was, you know, wrote it down and stuck it in this book as a, you know, as a, a you know, as a page marker. And here it is. I just found it here, uh, uh, how many years later? 15 years later, almost. Uh, so, I don't know. Does it fit in? Is it part of the scattering? Is it kismet that I found this? Let's read it. 
Darkness transpires over the fields of Cadiz, the cornrows silver, the groves of poplars wearing purple, the moon like a scythe. Crossing the night mile by mile with old friends, year by year, we transpire the darkness and light. Now I remember, uh, now I remember uh, where I wrote this. I was on the way to, uh, uh, either on the way or returning from, I think returning from, a, a football game in St. Louis. This is when the Rams were still playing in St. Louis, and they were hosting uh, the San Francisco 49ers. And I was on a road trip with uh, an accountant from Indiana who is a, uh, a uh, San Francisco 49ers fan and, uh, and a couple other friends. And, uh, yeah, we would go to different NFL games in the fall. And uh, I remember Cadiz is spelled Cadiz, C-A-D-I-Z, but it's not Cadiz as in Spain. It's Cadiz as in Kentucky. And that's the hometown of Joe Bolton. Uh, I hope that's a, a good omen because I have a, a, a submission for the uh, Joe Bolton prize. That's my great hope this year of winning some kind of uh, some recognizable poetry prize. But I've really sort of given up on those things. I, I, I do it every once in a while. I like Joe Bolton because uh, he's from Kentucky. I wrote my... My thesis about him, and and maybe we'll use this as a little bit of foreshadowing uh, for a future episode, and we'll uh, we will read some some Joe Bolton. But uh, I hope you have enjoyed our our search uh, for the stones in our scattering conversation this beautiful Sunday. Um, I hope you are in good health in these troubled times. And if not, I hope you are in good enough health. And if you are not in good enough health, I hope I wish you a good death. And uh, and if you are to have a good death, I wish you a good afterlife. Sincerely. And don't forget to write a poem.